0: All right, so I got a special Wisconsin Father's Day greeting here, guys. You ready? It kind of reads like a um, a Mastercard commercial. So here we go. Sighting in your expensive new deer rifle, got it? Shiny new high powered deer rifle, twelve hundred dollars. Quality high powered scope, five fifty. Bore sighting device, one hundred and forty. Oops, hospital visit, <laughs> four thousand eight hundred ninety three dollars. Forgetting to remove the bore sighting device prior to shooting, priceless. Ouch. 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 Man, that's like hitting a three iron in 40 degree weather. Yowch. Okay, happy Father's Day, guys. So, where we are today is we're going to start talking about the home. We're going to talk about husbands, and we're going to talk about wives next week, and then we're going to talk about parents and kids because. We're moving from our identity, we're well into now the mission part of the book of Ephesians. And we're walking this thing out now, our identity in Christ, in our relationships in the home. And so today, we're going to look at the husband's relationship to his wife. It's no surprise if you hear me say marriage is under attack. And there's just a bunch of people who think it's an old idea, chuck it. There's other people who say, let's just redefine it. You know, I know God's word says something about it, but that's out of date too. That's passe. Let's put a new spin on what constitutes marriage. So we have redefinitions of marriage. Then you have this reality that no longer do we see prevalent in our day two people committing themselves till death do us part. That's like an old-fashioned formality. We don't do that anymore. We fall into love, and when we fall out of love, then we just look for new love. And, And so all around us, marriage is under attack. And it's not just outside of the church. The attack is happening right here. And let me say, the attack has started inside of God's people from the very beginning. And you can see it right in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. In the very first marriage, when Adam and Eve are told... To go ahead and accomplish God's purposes and be part of his mission of being fruitful and multiplying. And that commandment wasn't just, hey, it's a big world, Adam and Eve. I want you to take care of it and so have lots of kids so you can spread out and take care of my big world. It was more like, I want you to have a certain kind of child i want you to have a child who's a lover of me with all their heart soul mind and strength so when you get to the very end of the old testament you run into a prophet named malachi or sometimes he's referred to malachi the italian prophet you get to malachi chapter 2 verse 10 and you find out that when god's talking about now listen to me you're still laughing all right malachi all right malachi two ten. he says talking now about this oneness that he commanded Adam and Eve to pursue, remember, leave cleave and become one flesh, he says, the reason I made you one, the reason I place my spirit within you, Malachi 2.10, 2.15, is so that you will raise up a godly offspring. So from the very beginning, God's had a plan his plan has been to call people to himself through Christ. Remember, Ephesians 1.10 is the best one-verse summary of the entire Bible, where God is uniting all things together in heaven and on earth, and he's doing it through Jesus Christ. And what we need to remember is your marriage, your family is at the heart of God's mission. And the enemy knows that. And so he's after it because you take out a marriage and you take out so many people with it. And you take down a marriage and you take down the picture that Christ wants to hold up in this world of the relationship that Christ has with his people. That's the surprise of Ephesians chapter 5. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 33. Now the guys have been saying to me last night and this morning hey, thanks a lot for kicking me in the backside. I said, well, hey, I want to share the love. God's been kicking me in the pants all week. And so, you know, I just want you other guys to share in my misery here. But don't worry, ladies, you'll get in on it next week. And we're looking forward to a full audience of women here. All right, so here we go. Living it out in our homes, verse 22. And I want you to look for that surprise I just mentioned. Wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And here's a surprise. This is a profound mystery. Two becoming one in marriage. We're going, yeah, one plus one equals one. This one flesh union that's spiritual, it's physical, it's emotional, that is a mystery. He says, I'm not talking about that. He says, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, here it is in a nutshell. When we look to Christ, men, and love our wives like Christ, we will lead others to Christ. We will point others to Him. What we get in this teaching is that the reason the enemies after marriage is because marriage is supposed to be a picture It's supposed to be a picture of a greater relationship of Christ and the church. And so that when they look at us, guys, as how we're treating our wives, and as they look at us, wives, and how you're responding to your man, they're getting a glimpse of the relationship of Jesus and his followers. And and they see a picture that makes them say, I want that. Ah, But the enemy knows that. So he's trying to ruin the picture So that nobody has any inclination to want the greater relationship. And so if you didn't know it before today, you know it now. You're in battle formation. It's the smallest battle formation on the the battlefield for God. A husband and a wife and the enemy wants to take you out. So what are we to do? Well, what we want to do then is to realize that since our marriage is a reflection... And let's just go to the original picture. Because we can get so preoccupied with fixing our marriage that we forget that it's just to be a reflection. So let's focus now on the original. And as we focus in on husbands this morning, what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to look at Jesus. We're we're just going to take our clues from him. And so when we look to Jesus in this text, here's what we see He is called the head. Now, we know about that word, the head. When we say he's the head or she's the head of the organization, we know what we're talking about. They're the leader, right? He's the leader. He is the head over the church. That's what the text tells us. But we know from chapter 1, verse 22, that God has placed all things under him, his feet, so that he would be appointed as head over all things for the church. Ephesians 1, 22. In other words, Christ is not just the leader of his people. He is the leader over all things. That's why verse 22 refers to him as Lord, as King, as Master. So who is Jesus? Well, he, he's the leader with all authority and all rule over all things. He's also called the Savior. Do you see that down in verse 23? He is the Savior of his body that is, of his church, that is, of his people, us. So that's what we see when we look to Christ. He's a leader who is our Savior. And when we put the two together and go down to verse 25, we all all of a sudden understand what kind of a leader he is. He's a loving leader. He's a servant leader. And his servant leadership is epitomized through his sacrifice when the scripture says in verse 25 he gave himself up for the church it's not in a figure of speech an expression it's history he died for you and for me and verse 26 tells us why look down at verse 26 why did he do this he did it to make her the church us holy that word holy means set apart for his purposes for the mission It speaks to the blemishes and wrinkles and the sin in our life that needs cleaning up and cleansing and purifying and forgiveness. He did this. And he did this to bring us into a relationship. That's what verse 27 is talking about. You have the picture here of a wedding. You've been to him. I've been to him. And and you have the father of the bride walking the bride down, right? And he's going to give her away. He's going to present her to now... The groom, her new husband. Here the picture is, Christ, in verse 27, is presenting her, us, the church, to who? To himself. And he's going to do that when he comes back again. Not as Savior, but as King and Judge. He's going to present us back to himself as his bride. That's why, Jesus says, there's no marriage in heaven. Matthew 22, first time you read that, you go, what? No marriage in heaven? Man, I I really like being married, Lord. Why don't I get to like being married in heaven? It's because we are married in heaven. We're married to Christ. That's the number one relationship. And that helps us understand why no marriage in heaven, because his mission through marriage will be done on this earth. And the way I like to think about it, I'm not losing anything. My relationship to Lori in heaven will be far closer, far more wonderful and intimate than it ever will be and can be here on this earth. So there's an enemy who's out for your marriage. And he wants to take you out. And the first thing he's going to do is keep you looking away from Christ. So you're looking at all the other guys, and you're feeling really good. It's like, you know, it's like playing golf. And you go out, and you shoot 100, like you were 28 over par, and you're not playing Oakmont. I mean, it, 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 it's really bad, but you're feeling great because you had a low score in your foursome. The other three guys were over 110. Par is 72. Par is Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on him. And when you look to him, here's what you see. A loving leader who gave himself up for us. Daniel was just 11 and Sharon was 12. Their lives were radically changed by the love of their father. It was just a a June summer day when they left with their dad, a dentist, Dr. James Reddick. And they were going to a place that he'd been many times before, an experienced mountain climber. They went up to Rainier. And a storm blew in, and they got caught in the storm, an awful storm, a blizzard, below freezing temperatures. And so he hustled his kids into a cave, and he got them all nestled in there. And then he covered the, the, the mouth of the cave with his own body. When the rescuers found them, days later, the kids were wet, They were cold, but they were alive. Their dad, he died. He gave up his life for his kids. And we hear a story like that, and we can only imagine how little Daniel and Sharon's lives were forever changed. And when Christ sent, when Christ died for us, he didn't do it for kids that loved him and were asking for a relationship. The scripture says we were, we were rebels. We, we didn't deserve his love. We didn't deserve his sacrifice. We weren't even looking for it. We didn't even desire it. But he covered us up with his life and we can live because he died. And men, that's where we gotta go. If we're gonna get it right If we're going to get it right in our marriage, if we're going to move forward the mission of God, we've got to keep our eyes trained on Jesus and keep seeing this kind of a leader, a loving servant leader who is gladly, willingly dying for his wife. All right, we go on. As we think about this kind of leadership we understand now that we're prepared, having looked to Christ, to love like Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We're called in verse 25 to love like Christ. But the, 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 the deal is, guys, we forget our grammar. Some of are saying, what do you mean forget? I never learned it. All right, grammar, indicatives, imperatives. Indicative is a statement of facts. Imperative is a statement of command. We've switched the two as we read the text. We think the command is exercise your leadership. Oh yeah, that's right. I need to do that. I need to exercise my leadership. I'm, I'm the man here. I've got to exercise my leadership. No, that's the indicative. That's the statement of fact. You are the leader. God already knows that. It's a settled question. The question is what kind of a leader are you going to be? The command is love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's what you want to keep your eye on the ball. That's the ball you want to watch. The command. The command. You are the leader. What kind of a leader are you going to be? And when you understand leadership as the way it's been exemplified in Christ, you understand this, and I understand this, that my leadership ought to grace and be an advantage to my wife, not to me. Let me say it again. My leadership in my marriage is to be advantageous for Lori, not for me. And so he goes on and he says, okay, here it is. You are to be the leader. And, and some of us go, well, wait a minute. What's this thing about leadership? Because I thought right back in verse 21 the third sign of a spirit filled person is that we have a submissiveness and we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in the church, that is exactly right. We submit to one another because the fact that you are the leader in your marriage does not mean anything about you're more qualified. We're not we're not better, we're not smarter, we're not necessarily superior in any way nor is a wife incapable or inferior it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this that you and I are created equal with our spouses. Joint heirs of Jesus Christ on the same level ground before the cross, but God is calling us to a position of leadership in the home. Just like God has got order in his universe. He says, look, I'm the creator and you're the creatures and you're to submit to me. I'm the king. And when it all gets right, uh, Ephesians 1.10 says, all things in heaven and on earth will be right and brought together under Christ's rule. We also know from the Genesis account that man and woman created in the image of God was to rule over, to have authority over God's creation. Why? For its good, for creation's good, that we would take care of it. We know in Romans 13 that God appoints up the authorities in government for our good. And we are to submit to them as long as their leadership doesn't conflict with God's. We're going to read now in the text. In the following weeks, not only are the wives called to submit and yield in love to their husbands, but children are to submit to their parents by obeying them and honoring them. We go on in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, and we find out now it starts working out in our work relationships. The passage on slaves and masters. And this is how it works out. And so as we wrestle with this whole idea of what's going on here, what's going on here is when you've been called to lead, the trajectory of your leadership is not ascending. It's not climbing. It's descending into a life of servanthood. Okay? And so what we're being called to do is we're being called to die. The call to love is a call to die. He loved the church, and what did Jesus do to show that he loved the church? He died for the church. You love your wife, you're called to die for your wife. But let me say, it's not the channel, it's not the 10 o'clock news stuff that we're talking about. I don't doubt there's any of the husbands here this morning who would even flinch at taking the bullet for your wife. The problem with that is, most of us won't ever be called to do that. But if you were, I believe you'd do it. The call here, though, is a little less glamorous. It's an everyday call to place your wife's life and her care and her interests before your own. And it's really practical. So when you're dragging in tomorrow at the end of a long Monday and you're tired and you don't have anything left, I, I want to say, especially to you young dads, you better get ready. Buddy, you better get ready because your wife That young mother, she needs you big time. Your day's just starting. You got to show up and help. And dying for your wife looks like maybe grabbing the kids. Maybe it means changing a stinky diaper. Maybe it means rolling up your sleeves and helping out getting dinner ready. It's really practical. It has to do with your TV viewing habits and the ESPN channel and the internet and the remote control. Yeah, that too. Your schedule, your workout routine, your career path, all the things that are near and dear to you, all the things that you prefer. And all of a sudden, because you love your wife, you're willing to die for your wife. And it's an act of your will where you purposefully commit to seek her welfare before your own. And there's nothing like marriage to reveal selfishness, right guys? And there's nothing like kids, as Wade said, that'll magnify it even more. I knew I was selfish when I got married. I grew to know my selfishness even more as we had children. Okay, so here's the guy, another hunting rifle story. He buys a new hunting rifle. No problem, we say, until we find out his dear wife... Doesn't have plumbing under her sink. All she's got is a red bucket. So there's some PVC pipe, but there's no loop, right? There's no trap. It's just draining right in the bucket, and every time the bucket's full, she's got to pick it up and throw it out the back door, and he just went and bought a hunting rifle. That is an example of not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's an example of not living with your wife in an understanding way, as Peter calls us to in 1 Peter 3, 7. And for a lot of us, we're going, well, I'm just trying to help my wife understand why these things are important to me. That's not the teaching. The teaching is live with your wife in an understanding way. Know her. Know what she's about. Know what's important to her. Know what her dreams are, her cares are, her fears. Know what her longings are. Know know what what her sense is of the marriage and of, of the kids. You know that so that you can encourage her and you can strengthen her and you can listen to her and you can pray for her. He calls us to love. It's a call to die. And guys, let me just say it. No possum playing. You know what I'm talking about? No possum playing. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you will when I tell you this story. Remember PE class, guys? Remember doing push-ups? Remember the guy was standing right over you Man, were you cranking out the push-ups, right? When the coach, when the PE uh, teacher was standing over you and looking at you, you were cranking out push-ups. Now maybe you didn't do this. Maybe some of the other guys did this. When he turned away and started looking and barking at somebody else, what'd you do? Or what? I, I guess you didn't do it, but the other guys did it, right? They just they just collapsed. The minute he's looking, they're cranking. All right. So so th- this isn't about just doing it when she's looking. And it's not even just about doing it. It's about being it. It's about the attitude of your heart. Your greatest desire is to lavish your wife with your love, with your life, with your energy, with your care, with your compassion. No possum playing aloud. And when that happens, he says, this kind of love has a way of transforming people. In verse 26, we read that the, the, the love of Christ transforms us and it makes us holy. And he does it through the washing of the water of the word. And you're to be a man of the word, a man of integrity that's being filled by God's word and whose words are speaking as it were the very words of God, 1 Peter 4, 11. And your life lived out is doing what Christ's word did to you. Christ's word gives life christ 's word builds up and and your words and your love are to transform your wife to be more like Christ. We understand that this sanctifying effect is is a, is kind of a fancy 25 cent theological word this setting apart making someone more like christ isn't something just that a husband does because first corinthians six fourteen says well wives do the same thing to their husbands in fact parents can do that for their kids the way we live our life can be transformational and so the question guys today is is your wife becoming more like christ because of you or in spite of you it's a call to die And he says, it's to transform your wife's life. And he says, it's the kind of thing that should be as natural as loving your own body. Who hates their own body? Of course we don't. We take care of it. We feed it. We clothe it. We wash it. Feeding and caring speaks to taking care of our wife's physical and emotional needs. We're so much better, guys, aren't we, at the physical stuff than we are the emotional? The emotional requires a whole lot of energy Attention and concentration and listening and putting aside our agenda to engage with our bride. And so that sets up the two temptations, the two dangers. On the one hand, it's to disconnect, it's to withdraw from your wife. And there's this unusual thing that's going on in our day it's this complete paradox. I see it all the time. You're here, your husband, And you are just a successful, type-A, hard-driving man in the workplace. And you get home, and you got nothing left. You don't even want to have anything left. Your concept of home is, it's a place where I can just kind of refuel and catch my breath so I can get out there again tomorrow and chase down a buck. And you withdraw, and you're passive, and you disengage. You may be in the house But you've checked out. Your kids know you've checked out. You're there, but you're not there. It's the first sin that's recorded in the Bible. And when we see the implications of what happened when Adam sat by, crossed his arms, I imagine, leaning on the tree, listening to the conversation that the serpent, the enemy, is having with Eve, he doesn't say a word Because he was a passive wimp. And it all went sour. And it's going to go sour in your marriage. And it's going to go sour with your kids, especially your sons, who will follow in your steps. And most of you who have that kind of proclivity, that's precisely what you can say has happened to you. You're, You're doing it just like your dad did it. Don't disconnect the other side is is just as bad the separation here comes from domination from a harsh dictatorial demeaning unloving unmerciful leadership why do you do it well because you're insecure why do you do it because it works you intimidate people to live their lives in such a way that you like how you've got control of your little world meaning uh, the result though is nobody wants to be around you Nobody is drawn to that kind of love. You've pushed them all away. And at the end of the day, whether you disconnect or whether you dominate, what's going to happen when the kids leave, guys, is this. And I've heard it from so many couples. The kids left the house, and we have nothing in common anymore. It's like the only thing we share is the same address. Yeah, we've got the same batch of kids, but that's it. And those are two great dangers to avoid. Disconnecting, dominating. What is the clear path? It's the path of Christ. To be a loving servant leader who every day in all kinds of way we're giving our lives up for our our wives. There's no loopholes. Wouldn't it be nice, guys, if it said this? Look, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church if and only when she submits to you as... The church does to Christ. Well, that'd be a nice loophole. And ladies, next week, wouldn't it be great if we could say, and, and wives, you don't have to submit to your husbands and everything unless he loves you like Christ loves the church. And you tell know, me, can't do that anyway, so whew, you're off the hook. Man, I would love it if that was the teaching of Ephesians 5. But it's not. And the reason it's not is because we're reflecting. We're reflecting the greater love, the love of God, the love of Christ that is not Conditional. So no loopholes. So I look out and I see some young women here today and I say, what are you looking for in a man? You want someone who's gonna make a lot of money? Don't go there. Don't go there. Look for someone who's looking at Jesus. Look for someone who loves like Jesus. That's the kind of man. Listen, there are all kinds of women all over the world married to rich men, and and they're in castles, and they got everything they want, or so they thought. They don't have happiness. They don't have what they need. You need a man who looks to Christ and loves like Christ. Young man, what kind of a husband do you want to be? This text just lays it out. Wives, what kind of a husband are you praying your man to become? This is it. A man who's looking to Jesus and loving like Jesus. Church, what are we praying for the marriages in this church? They're under attack. We're praying that the men of this church who are husbands would be loving leaders who grace their family's life, starting with their wives. And as they do that, that they see this reciprocal thing happening where their wives are being drawn close to them through their love. And a watching world is going, what's going on with this couple? There's something going on there that's different, and I want it. And and that, that's the that's the cool thing, guys. Right before the enemy would like to beat you down into uh, feeling bad, feeling like you're a lousy husband and dad. Like, gee, I'm glad I went to Door Creek today. I just got beat up. I want you to just. Think about this. This is the cool opportunity that we have. We can love like Christ and and see fullness in in the relationships that are most dear to us. Things that are broke starting to get fixed because Christ's love is working. And and then we all of a sudden get get excited about the opportunity that how I treat my wife has eternal eternal ramification in somebody else's life That, that actually how I, husband, Lori could make a difference eternally in somebody else's life. Wow, God, you've given me that opportunity. Man, I want to show up this week. I want to show up for the rest of my life. And I, I look out, some of you, I know you're just getting married. And I say, what a great thing to remember as you get married. But the bottom line is, guys, we can't do this. But let me say this. God has not called us to do something that he hasn't equipped us to do. We can't do it. Our, our own equipment, our, we, we just can't love like that. And that's the beauty of going through a book verse by verse because we've just been through what? five eighteen through 21. And what did 18 through 21 tell us? Every day, guys, we need the Spirit's fullness. And when we have the Spirit's fullness, we have the Spirit of who? Of Christ. And the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And so I've got Christ, His Spirit in me, And so I can love Lori like this. Am I going to get it right all the time? Absolutely not. But I can't say today, I can't do this. Because I can do this, not in my own strength, but in the power and the fullness of his spirit. And so together, let's be a people, especially the husbands that are looking to Christ, that we might love like Christ and lead others to him. Let's pray. Lord, we've often sung it here and we love to sing it because it's it's so true. More love, more power, more of you in my life. Oh, Lord, there's so much of me that ruins the picture. And we just confess that. The husband's here, Lord, we confess that. We, We're not measuring up to the picture. We desperately want to forgive us, help us, strengthen us, fill us with your spirit. We know that's what you want. Lord, we're telling you that's what we want. We want people to get it as they look at us. We we want at the end of the day when our wife and our kids and our grandkids circle around a plot of ground that they would praise you That we loved them like your son. Help us to do that, we pray. Amen.